Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today, we're in our retreat series, which is titled Harmony in Relationships. We're in the sixth class, which is titled The Path to Enlightenment, Practicing the Path in the Workplace. Today, what I'm going to share with you is how to take these teachings of the Buddha and move them into your professional life. And what you do is your livelihood, whether you're retired, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, or whether you have your own self-employed business or you work for some company somewhere it's important that you move these teachings that you've been learning as part of the path to enlightenment into your livelihood and into your professional life because if you were only practicing these teachings in your private life which some people think that that's what these teachings are for which they are but it's also for your professional life and if you weren't practicing these teachings in your professional life the mind isn't actually going to be able to experience enlightenment you might be experiencing all kinds of benefits in your personal life but those same benefits are available to you in your professional life as well. So as we go in today's class, I'm going to be sharing with you content that's going to help you to move these teachings into your professional life and be able to see how you can actually practice these in your professional life. And once again, that includes even a retired person, a stay-at-home mom or dad, or anybody doing anything aside from just your regular personal life. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our class and let you know that you're able to ask questions as we go forward in our class. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderators will see that in the comment section that you've placed a question there and be sure it gets asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions that you like, and I'll be pleased to answer any questions as we go. So I've got some visual aids here to help me share with you what it is that I've prepared and that I taught as part of the retreat in the USA. And I'll just start by sharing with you the same thing that I've been sharing in each one of these classes related to harmony and relationships, because I never know who's going to necessarily be in one particular class or another. And there might be some new student who's joining for the first time. And what's important for you to understand as it relates to all the teachings of the Buddha is that the number one priority, the number one goal for you on this path to enlightenment is to acquire wisdom. Without that, you wouldn't actually be able to experience any kind of benefits with the Buddhist teachings whatsoever. So there's never a time where the Buddha says to just believe him or just believe his teachings. Instead, he encourages students to investigate, to examine. And through investigating and examining his teachings, you can then reflect on them and independently verify them and start practicing and seeing the truth for yourself that they're working to transform the mind. So through this learning, 
this reflecting and this practicing, you're able to actually transform the mind. If you understand dependent origination and what the Buddha taught as the number one problem in the unenlightened mind, which is this ignorance or the unknowing of true reality, then the way that you transform that is through wisdom. And you can't get to that through belief because with belief, you don't know what's true or false. It is craving, desire, attachment, that mental longing with a strong eagerness that causes discontentedness. But the whole reason why that exists is because of ignorance, the unknowing of true reality. And when the mind gets its cravings, then it's going to experience those pleasant feelings. And when it doesn't get what it wants, it experiences those painful feelings, which anger is part of. So when we talk about craving, anger, and ignorance as plaguing the unenlightened mind, the only reason why craving and anger exist is because of ignorance. And it's only this transformation of acquiring wisdom that's going to actually help you to eradicate craving and anger to be able to get to the point where the mind now is experiencing enlightenment. So this eightfold path that the Buddha teaches is the core central teaching where other things are plugging into it. It's vitally important that you deeply study that inside and out, backwards and forwards. You need to get to a point where you know it like the back of your hand, where if somebody just says, right intention, Right away, you know, right intention has three aspects. It has the intention of renunciation, the intention of non-ill will, and the intention of harmlessness. And then understand what each one of those are and how to practice it. And when you hear right speech, you know exactly what that is and you know how to practice it. It might not mean that you're practicing it 100% yet, but you at least understand the teachings deeply to the point where you know what each of those steps are and what's needed to be practiced for each one of those steps. So acquiring wisdom on this path to develop your life practice is what's going to help you in all parts of your life, including in the workplace. Along with that, what you're learning on the path to enlightenment, which is included as part of the Eightfold Path, is learning meditation and the practice of generosity. Because craving, desire, attachment is the primary cause that's causing discontentedness, then it's breathing mindfulness meditation that's actually transforming that and helping you to arise mindfulness, arise concentration, and eliminate the craving, desire, attachment. Generosity is helping that as well when you're giving and sharing more than is strictly required. In order to produce this enlightened mind, you're going to need to practice generosity and helping to help others, essentially. That if you were just only pursuing your own selfish pursuits, then you wouldn't experience this enlightened mental state because the mind is still selfish and holding on to things very tightly. So there's breathing mindfulness meditation and generosity to address the craving and the primary problem that's causing discontentedness. And then there's loving kindness meditation to address the anger, the frustration, the irritation, that ill will that's in the mind. And then with that meditation, you're transforming the mind in meditation, but you also then need to do the work outside of meditation where you're practicing through your intentions, your speech, your action, and your livelihood, being loving and kind, having this genuine interest in seeing others be well. So these practices of meditation and generosity that you gain wisdom about as part of this path to enlightenment, that's helping you in all parts of your life to bring more and more of the qualities of enlightenment into the mind, including in your workplace as well. As you're 
experiencing various things in your workplace or even as I mentioned, a retired person or a stay-at-home mom or dad or anything like this, as things get really busy and active in your life, understand that that's a time where the mind can oftentimes get complacent and you would like to eradicate that complacency. I know that for myself, when I was working in the past and doing businesses and stuff like that, that when things were pretty calm and pretty steady, that was a time where I would be more active in my practice and learning and meditating and all those other things. But then when things started getting busy and active, then I would tend to kind of shortcut and I wouldn't meditate or I wouldn't be as involved in learning and things like that. But what I would like to encourage you to do and be able to see very clearly is that during those times where things are more active in your life, that's actually the time that you need things like meditation more regularly. Because when things are fairly quiet and you're meditating regularly and you're studying regularly, this is a time where the mind can actually be quite content and quite peaceful and quite joyful. But when things get really busy and active in your life, maybe you're preparing to send your kids back to school. Maybe there's a new project at work. Maybe it's the end of school and your kids are coming out of school. Maybe you've taken on a new job. Maybe you've got new responsibilities at your job. These are times oftentimes where the mind might get overburdened with addressing those kind of things. And it'll kind of try to shortcut or it'll get complacent and maybe not meditate as much because it's having trouble balancing this work life and this meditation that you're doing. So it's important that you see that all those things you're doing on the Eightfold Path to include meditation is actually what's supporting you to be able to accomplish more and more opportunities and more and more success in your life. So if you're working at a certain job and you're able to deeply learn and practice these teachings and you're meeting with some success at work and now you start getting these promotions where you take more and more responsibility, you might not necessarily connect that promotion and that increased responsibilities at work with because your mind was so calm, because you were doing things so well based on the Eightfold Path, your supervisors and your bosses and your coworkers saw how good of a job you were doing with this very basic job that they then started promoting you to higher and higher responsibilities. And you need to be able to see that the reason why those things are occurring is because of your practice and that it would be unwise to give up on your practice or shortcut it or get complacent. And just because you've gotten more responsibilities and more promotions or there's more activity in your home life or with your children or what have you, that you might try to set aside the teachings of the Buddha thinking that, ah, you know, I'm off and doing these other things now. I'm too busy for that stuff. That would be very unwise because it's those things that actually propelled you into this greater amount of success. And it would be important for you to continue doing those things that led to your success. So don't allow the mind to become complacent at any time during your daily life. And as you're progressing in life, whether it's promotions or maybe new kids are coming if you're having new kids that are being born or maybe you get married or your kids are moving in and out of different phases 
be sure that you look to stay dedicated and determined in what it is that you're actually learning and practicing, not allowing complacency to set in. Because you might be a year or two or three into your practice and take this kind of hard right turn and decide to kind of give up, or maybe things slowly start slipping where you're not meditating as regularly as you once did. And this will be very detrimental to your progress on the path. So where you see any kind of complacency starting to set in, be sure that you eradicate that and that you stay dedicated and determined and diligent in progressing on this path. Be sure that you're practicing a right livelihood because the Buddha shared various livelihoods that he knew would be harmful for us if we actually practiced. In the Buddha's teachings on the Eightfold Path and all of his other teachings, he's never using his teachings to be like rules or commandments or thou shalt do this and thou shalt not do this and using guilt or shame or fear to motivate you to understand his teachings. Instead, what he's doing is he's exposing you more and more to this natural law of gamma so that you can see the truth for yourself that what he's exposing to you, what he's sharing with you is these natural laws of existence to help you understand that when you make wise decisions in the world, these wise decisions are going to produce wholesome outcomes. And when you make unwise decisions, it's going to produce unwholesome outcomes. So if we cause harm to others, harm is going to come back to us. So in terms of working and practicing these teachings in the workplace, you would need to have a right livelihood in order to get to enlightenment. If you weren't practicing right livelihood, you wouldn't actually be able to experience enlightenment because maybe you've worked out and sorted out a lot of things in your personal life, but maybe your work life, there's a lot of contention or certain jealousy or resentment or hostility or dissatisfaction in the way that you conduct yourself in your livelihood. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom and dad, you're retired, you're working in the workforce or what have you, whatever you're doing in life to sustain your life, this is your livelihood. And the Buddha provides five trades that he says, if we do these trades, this is going to cause harm in the world. And if we base our livelihood and how we sustain our life based on harm that's being caused to others, then this is going to produce difficulties in our life. And after I share these with you, you can actually see this for yourself, that it's the truth. The Buddha shares that if we have business and weapons, business and living beings, business and meat, business and substances that cause heedlessness and business and poisons. These five trades are going to cause harm in the world. And you can see for yourself, if you take any one of these and start reflecting on it, you can see that it would cause harm to others. And if you sustain your life off of harm to others, this is going to produce very difficult situation in your own life. So let's just take one of these and you can reflect on all five of these at some point if you like, but let's just take one like substances that cause heedlessness. This is a really easy one to be able to see that if I was to sell cocaine or heroin or methamphetamine and I was on the street corner, there's going to be all kinds of difficulties that I encounter. 
I can get robbed. People can beat me up. People might shoot me and kill me. People might arrest me, right? I might get arrested for this. And I might even get addicted to these substances myself because they're around so much, I might end up using them myself. So when we're putting this harm out into the world based on our livelihood of selling cocaine or heroin or methamphetamine, this is causing harm to others. So that's why this harm comes to me. And what I've just shared are kind of illicit drugs, but even things like alcohol, which we know is legal in most places in the world, but this is a substance that causes heedlessness. And if we were to take an occupation like this, even though it's legal to do this, we can incur a lot of difficulties. This is why liquor stores tend to get robbed. People have gotten murdered for just being a cashier at a liquor store. This happens regularly, right? So there's all these difficulties and challenges when we don't understand what the natural laws of existence are. If we're just following the human laws that are imperfect and that have been created by human beings, then we oftentimes struggle because it's legal for us to go work as a cashier in a liquor store. But if we don't understand the natural laws of existence and we choose to do that, we could actually be introducing harm and difficulty into our life because this occupation that we've chosen to take and to conduct ourselves in is causing harm by putting this substance out into the world. It's actually causing heedlessness, which is this unalertness, this unattentiveness. And now we're going to be impacted by people who are coming in and maybe they're drunk or they're hostile or they're angry. And now there's maybe people who want to rob us or murder us or beat us up and steal the alcohol or the liquor that we're selling. So this is just one particular area that the Buddha talked about, substances that cause heedlessness. But there's all five of these that would be wise for you to understand and be sure that you practice in order to move the mind closer and closer to enlightenment and purify your livelihood. Because if you're selling weapons, if you have business in living beings, business in meat, business in substances that cause heedlessness, and business in poisons, all of these are going to end up causing harm to others and harm is going to come to you. Even though it might be legal from a human standpoint that you're not breaking any laws of your country to do some of these occupations. If you understand the natural law of gamma of cause and effect, you can see very clearly the harm that you could potentially incur by practicing one of these wrong livelihoods. Then the Buddha talks about other aspects of right livelihood to help you further understand. If you're right now practicing any of these five wrong livelihoods, you can gradually purify your livelihood, moving closer and closer to a livelihood that would be not harming others and therefore it would be more sustainable in your own life. But the Buddha actually talks in other teachings where you can see increased amounts of discussion and guidance on the natural law of gamma related to your livelihood. If you look in volume 12, chapter 14, which is another book as part of this book series that I share, you'll see in there that the Buddha shares much deeper teachings related to a livelihood. And if you're looking to move and change your livelihood, or you're right now in the process of finding a new livelihood, this might be an ideal time for you to go look at volume 12, chapter 14, 
because in there I share all the teachings that are essentially applying to right livelihood to really help you understand that in depth. Because it's not just these five wrong livelihoods that the Buddha shared, but he shared other teachings as well that helps you to eliminate craving, anger, and ignorance as it relates to your livelihood. Let me give you some examples here. You might have a certain livelihood, like I did, where I was working in the IT field, and there was a period of time for about two years that I was working at a job that I would consider a dead-end job. There really wasn't very many projects, and the projects that I had, I wasn't even really able to apply any skills or learn new skills. The place where I was working, there was a lot of dishonesty and things were promised in terms of bonuses and salary increases that weren't actually being given the way that they were promised. And even though this two-year period, I came to this livelihood for two years, it was boring, it was not interesting. I really despised going to this work environment every day because I just wasn't motivated. I wasn't challenged in developing my skills and applying the skills that I had to progress the company or to progress the clients. I was essentially just there kind of like a lump on a log, so to speak. But because I was making quite a bit of money at that time, I just continued to do it because I was collecting a paycheck. Well, eventually I got to a point where I decided to leave this company and I went and worked at another job and I made so much more money at that job and it was very challenging for me as well at that job. So for that two year period though, it was very unmotivating. There was lots of discontentedness in the mind. I felt like I didn't really have my bearings in the world. I felt like I was useless essentially, where if I would have understood these teachings at that time, I wouldn't have experienced this two year period where things were just very stagnant in my life. And what was going on there is there was a craving for money. I was craving a certain amount of money. I was getting a whole lot more money than I was making in my previous job. Moving from that job to this new job, I got like a $15,000 a year increase in my salary. So I was like, hey, you know, I'm just going to hang out here for a while, even though I wasn't motivated and enthused in this job. So if you have a dead end job where you're not motivated and you're not enthused to be working in that job, then life is going to feel very much of a struggle and very difficult. It's going to feel like you're perhaps stagnant. Maybe you don't enjoy the work. Maybe you don't feel like you're contributing. Maybe you feel like your skills are not up to where they need to be. Or maybe you feel like the work environment isn't really conducive to practicing in a loving and kind environment. So it's important that you understand that this craving, anger, and ignorance that is in the mind is going to affect you in all decisions that you make, including the type of decisions that you make around your livelihood. So if you allow craving, anger, and ignorance to affect your livelihood in terms of where you choose to work, what type of occupation you have, and what your choices are, then you're going to feel very conflicted inside when it comes to your livelihood. And if you're going somewhere five days a week for eight or 10 hours a day, and you're really struggling and you really don't feel motivated in this occupation or in this livelihood, then life isn't going to be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. You're going to find it very difficult to have peacefulness and joy when you're showing up to a place for 40 hours, 60 hours a week, 
not really truly enjoying and being enthused about the work that you're doing. So it's important that you move your livelihood closer and closer to a right livelihood where you feel motivated and you feel enthused. Essentially, by the time you work through this path to enlightenment and you get to a right livelihood that's fully purified, you will just be so enthused about this work that you could do it for free. That even though you need to collect a paycheck, even though you need that income in order to meet the basic necessities that you need in life, if it was possible, you would be willing to do this occupation or this livelihood at no salary, no income whatsoever. And when you get to that point where you're so enthused and you enjoy the work that you're doing on a regular basis, that you would do it without any compensation whatsoever, that's how you know it's a right livelihood. Because when you wake up in the morning, there's a pep in your step that your feet hit the ground, you're ready to go out into the world and do this work because it feels very meaningful for you. It feels very purposeful for you. But if you don't have that meaning and that purpose about the work that you're doing on a daily basis, you might feel that you're in a dead end job like I did for those two years. And it's very conflicting in the mind and it weighs down on your mind and on your life and all other aspects of your life. So it's important for you to find that right livelihood that's not one of those five trades that I mentioned and that it takes into account all the things that are shared in volume 12, chapter 14, because in there, the Buddha shares in detail exactly how to ensure that your livelihood is purified. And I've added some details in there to help you as well. Some things that are shared in some parts of the Buddha's teachings related to a livelihood that you can even see in volume one is around how to actually conduct your livelihood. Not only these five trades that he talked about, but he also talks about ensuring that you're not scheming, that there's not flattery, hinting, belittling, or pursuing gain with gain. And in chapter five of volume one, I go into detail about what each one of these are, talking about scheming, about corruption. So even if you had a right livelihood that wasn't one of these five, but you had corruption in your livelihood, say you were a politician and then you were corrupt, or you were a police officer or a doctor or a nurse or something like this, and you were doing things that were corrupt in your livelihood, this is gonna cause complications in your livelihood. Or if you had flattery, where you were just flattering your customers, you were flattering your bosses and your coworkers, you didn't really have sincere praise, but it was just to flatter people, to get them to promote you or to purchase products that you have, this is gonna cause difficulties in your life. If you're hinting and belittling, where you're belittling other workers or other businesses, essentially slandering and gossiping about people in your livelihood, this is not going to allow you to build a wholesome reputation in your livelihood and it's going to weigh on your reputation and make it very difficult for you to experience promotions and growth in your business. Or if you are pursuing gain with gain, what this is, is this is where you are just 
at a job for profit like I was back in the past where there was a two-year period where I was just working for money and that's all I cared about in that particular job. I wasn't really applying myself. I wasn't really making wise decisions to grow my career, take on more and more projects or things like that. I was only just out for the money. And whenever you have a livelihood where you're only interested in money and profit, there's not enough of that to satisfy the mind because it's a craving and you're going to ultimately feel diminished and essentially demoralized because all you're doing is pursuing money and maybe you're making a lot of money but you're not really feeling like there's a real purpose or any meaning in your life because you don't feel like you're necessarily contributing to humanity in a positive way you're just making money for the sake of making money and this is going to eventually wear out and the mind isn't going to be as enthused or motivated in this livelihood any longer and you're going to feel that life is almost like at a dead end so to speak so by ensuring you're not practicing one of these five wrong livelihoods of these trades not to be plied and you're not practicing these things that the buddha is talking about in terms of scheming flattering hinting belittling pursuing gain with gain and you look at those other teachings that the buddha shares in volume 12 chapter 14 you'll be able to see how to eliminate craving anger and ignorance out of the mind as it relates to the selection of what livelihood you choose and one of the easiest ways to be able to see that is that if you can do this livelihood without any compensation whatsoever and you would be just as enthused just as motivated to do it even if you weren't being compensated for it then you know that's a right livelihood because you have that motivation and that encouragement and you feel that there's a real purpose and benefit to the work that you're doing. And there you can actually get to peacefulness and joy along with all the other teachings that I'm going to share with you today and that I share with you as part of the Eightfold Path. You'll be able to experience peacefulness and joy in your livelihood. But as long as you're doing one of these five that the Buddha suggests not to do, or you're scheming, flattering, hinting, belittling, or pursuing gain with gain, or you've got some kind of cravings. Maybe the mind wants a certain position because there's ego in the mind, and I want to be a director, I want to be a manager, I want to be a vice president, or something like this. And the only reason why you're pursuing that occupation or that title is because of the ego, for example. If any of these kind of things are going on in your livelihood, you're ultimately going to feel unfulfilled in this livelihood and your livelihood isn't fully purified so you're not going to be able to experience this peacefulness and joy in all parts of your life your professional life and your personal life because if you only did this work in your personal life and not clarifying and purifying your livelihood for your professional life then you're not going to be able to actually experience this peacefulness and joy of the enlightened mind and this also relates to someone who's maybe a stay-at-home mom or a stay-at-home dad. If you thoroughly enjoy that and you know that this is your calling in life, then outstanding. But if you're feeling a lack of motivation and you feel like you would really enjoy having a part-time job or even going back to work full-time or something like that, then that's something that you should consider and talk out and figure out a way that you can accomplish that. Because if the mind is feeling disgruntled 
or resentful about being at home with the children and that's not what you truly are interested in doing in this life, then it's going to be hard for you to get to this peacefulness and joy when there's resentment or disgruntledness around what you're choosing to do on a continuous ongoing basis, like maybe staying at home, for example, with the children. Not everybody needs to do that. It's not a requirement that we need to do that. And choosing not to do that doesn't mean that we don't love our children. It means that we're interested in getting to this peace and this joy, and that's going to be good for everybody. And it just is a matter of making wise decisions and slowly moving towards an occupation or a livelihood that we feel more fulfilled at. Oftentimes, we are interested in making these real quick and rapid decisions, and this is typically unwise, that if you're in a certain livelihood right now that you're not enthused about and that you don't feel motivation around, then look for gradual changes that you can make to gradually move to a livelihood that you do feel fulfilled about, and this will help you to accomplish more peacefulness and joy in your life as you gradually move towards a livelihood that you feel more fulfilled at. I have some more things to share with you, but I would like to pause here and see what questions you guys have about what I've been discussing so far. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand in Zoom electronically and ask any questions that you like. Yes, sir. On Zoom, Amina asks, if we appreciate and find satisfaction in projects we are working on, <clears throat> but find it challenging at times to collaborate with some of the other people we encounter, can that still be right livelihood and simply means that we need to confront the cause of our discontentedness and understand that the problem is the mind and not other people? Yes, yeah, so if you're in a livelihood that you feel is very fulfilling, but you're just having difficulties in the relationships and within that livelihood, that's where you need to work out the relationships and all the other steps on the Eightfold Path. And that's more of what I'm gonna be sharing with you as part of today's class about how to actually do that. But so far what I've been talking about is just in terms of a livelihood itself, but what you're describing, Amina, is, is right on, that you can have a right livelihood that you feel very fulfilled at and you know that this is absolutely what you would like to be doing in life, but it might just be that you're experiencing discontentedness because people aren't doing things the way you want, for example. But also, you can also have a certain livelihood that you thoroughly enjoy, but it might be the wrong group of people to do that livelihood with. If you're seeing a lot of anger and hostility or people are being corrupt or people are just pursuing gain with gain and just out for profit and this is kind of the general way that people tend to work in your work environment, that might not be the best place or the best environment for you to conduct that certain livelihood. So if somebody was like a salesperson and they enjoy selling products, well, maybe the livelihood that they're in, they've discovered like, yes, this is what I enjoy doing. I love learning about a product. I love representing that and I enjoy representing that to the public in a way that they can understand it and then they choose to purchase it and it brings them benefit. But this particular product or these particular people that I am working with isn't the right environment for me. So let me go find a position as a salesperson with a different company and a different group of people that I can feel more fulfilled at. But in doing that, understanding these teachings is actually gonna help you because if you understand 
things like right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood to include these teachings and others, then the choice that you make about where you work, you're going to be able to make a more informed choice based on the wisdom that you know from the Buddha that's going to help you to discern whether or not this is the best environment for you to work in or not. Yes, thank you, sir. Um, we are still having problems with the live feed on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, I've invited those people to join the Zoom class. Uh, but for now, there are no questions on Facebook and on YouTube, sir. Okay, yeah, I see here that it looks like the live streaming software is having difficulties. I'm going to need to uh, sort that out after class. So it looks like it'll be a Zoom only class today. And then I'll have it on the podcast after class. So anybody who isn't able to make the live class, they can attend through the replay on the podcast. Thank you for letting me know that, Miranda. Oh, you're welcome, sir. Um, that's all the questions that there are this time, sir. Okay. So let's move on to the next part of the content that I was going to share with you as part of understanding how to practice the path to enlightenment in the workplace. It's important to understand as part of right concentration that your goal should be to practice singleness of mind. And singleness of mind is to do just one thing at a time and not have your mind in multiple places. You can't actually have your mind in multiple places. Instead, what the mind might actually be experiencing is this rapid cycling from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. But you might actually work in a work environment that doesn't understand this, that they actually might be attempting to motivate you to practice multitasking. And they think that that's the way that you should practice in life. What multitasking is, is it's actually the mind doing one thing for like three seconds, five seconds, eight seconds, and then rapidly cycling to the next thing, doing that for three, four, five, eight seconds, however long it does that, and then rapidly cycling to the next thing and, and doing that for a period of time. People think that this is actually more productive, but this is part of the ignorance or the delusion or the confusion or the misunderstanding or the unknowing of true reality. People don't realize that their mind can only do one thing at a time. During the lifetime of the Buddha, I'm confident that people weren't talking about multitasking. This is a new concept that has come into our modern culture, and it's really come about since computers have come out. Because a computer can actually multitask, because it's got a computer chip, and it's got multiple processors, and it can actually do multiple things at one time because it's a computer, it's a machine, it's been designed to do multiple things at one time. And once computers came out and we saw this technology happening, all of a sudden humans got this idea that they thought now that they could actually multitask as well. But this is because of that unknowing of true reality, the ignorance, that what's really occurred over the past few decades, and we're seeing the results of this, is that people have been training their mind to rapidly cycle from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing. And now we've got this large segment of our population that lacks concentration and that has difficulties with bringing their attention and their focus to one thing. This is where we're calling it ADHD or ADD. People say that they can't focus, they can't concentrate. And that's because their mind has been rapidly cycling for many years from things to thing to thing to thing to thing. And then if you do that at work for eight hours or 10 hours or what have you, then when you come home, 
you might find it hard to relax. You might find that there's anxiety and stress in the mind and the mind can't just sit in one place and do one thing. You might feel that you need to be go, 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 go all the time because you would train the mind this way at work. And people might be putting pressure on you to multitask because that's what they do. But people aren't realizing that this is actually detrimental to their mental health, that it's producing this whole generation of people who don't have concentration and that lack the ability to focus and have attention. And if this is what you're doing at work on a continuous ongoing basis because of the pressure and influence from other people, then you're going to find that you have anxiety. You're going to find that there's stress. It's going to be hard for you to relax when you are off from work and you're going to lack this concentration and just being able to have a focused mind. So it's important that you understand that your mind can only do one thing at a time, that it's not possible for you to multitask, even though other people might be putting influence and pressure on you to do this. Because when your mind is rapidly cycling like this and it gets overstimulated, then at other times the mind's going to be deeply bored and it's going to feel a lot of loneliness. And then there's going to be these cravings and desires that arise in the mind. So be sure that you understand that the mind can't do more than one thing at a time and work towards practicing singleness of mind, where you don't attempt to focus on more than one thing at a time because you need to understand that that's impossible. And if you don't see that truth for yourself, that the mind can only do one thing at a time, let me know. You can reach out by private message or schedule a personal guidance with me. I can walk you through an activity and an exercise where you can see the truth for yourself that the mind is only capable of doing one thing at a time. You need to be able to see that truth for yourself. If you've been misled to believe that you're actually doing more than one thing at a time, then you need to be able to see that you can only do one thing at a time and then focus and practice singleness of mind on a regular ongoing basis where you gradually train the mind to just do one thing at a time in your work and at home as well. This is why when we drive and you're on the phone at the same time, people get in accidents, right? People have been killed over attempting to do more than one thing at a time. It's not possible for the human mind to do more than one thing at a time. That's why driving and talking on the phone produces unwholesome results because it's unwise for somebody to do two things at one time because the mind can't do more than one thing at a time. And when it attempts to do more than one thing at a time, it meets with conflict and difficulties. There's been people who are walking down the street, talking on a phone, they walk out in the middle of the street, they get hit by a car and they die. So people have been killed over the simple lack of wisdom that the mind can't do more than one thing at a time and they're not practicing singleness of mind. So if you understand this and you only practice singleness of mind in your workplace, then as people come to talk to you and they try to interact with you and they might be trying to multitask themselves and grab your attention, it's important that you don't allow this to occur, that instead work towards gradually training the mind to practice singleness of mind. And then the third thing on this same topic is that when you're in the workplace, 
there's going to be people who are continuing to think that multitasking is a way to practice and they might be trying to do multiple things at a time or if you're trying to practice singleness of mind you might be on the computer for example typing out an email and somebody comes to visit you in your office and tries to pull your attention towards them and you're trying to practice singleness of mind all these other people at your workplace don't understand that and you can't go around and train everybody to understand that you're practicing singleness of mind and you know wait for you when you're trying to accomplish some task and that you're practicing singleness of mind. So what you do is you start to conduct yourself in a way where you only interact and do one thing at a time. And over a period of time, six months, a year, people in your work environment gradually start to understand that they can't just be demanding of your time and your attention and try to grab your attention and pull you away. So for example, if you're typing out an email and then somebody comes to visit you and jumps right in and starts talking to you and trying to have a conversation with you, what you will need to do is you'll need to be able to put the email on hold and then focus your attention to that person and then address whatever you need to address and then come back to your email, for example. That would be you practicing singleness of mind. But more and more, what you would probably like to do is start to gradually help these people that are around you to understand that it's not wise for them to just jump in and start having a conversation with you when you're on the phone with somebody else or you're typing out an email or something like this. So what you may need to start doing is as you're on email or as you're talking on the phone and somebody else comes and tries to jump in, you might need to ignore that person or you might need to put your hand up and tell them one moment and hold on. And then you continue to talk, you get to end of your thought, and then you might ask the person on the phone, you know, can you please hold for a moment and then address the person that's come to see you. And now when you're done with that, politely go back to the person on the phone. And then more and more, what you'll see is the people who come to see you, they'll understand that they need to be patient and wait until you're done with your email or wait until you're done with the phone. I had to do this with my son. There were times where I would be talking with a student on Zoom and then he would just kind of barge into my room and start talking to me about something. And I would have to ask him to hold on, you know, just one moment and then I would continue to talk. Or even if I was just surfing the internet or writing out an email or something, I would just ask him to hold on. And then when I was first starting to train him to do this, I might have actually been done with my email but I was actually interested in training him to be patient and I would actually go do something else on the computer without him necessarily knowing. I would be on the internet doing a couple of things, extending the amount of time that he needed to sit there and wait for me in order to teach him patience. And now it's at a point where my wife and my son, because this is my work environment where I tend to work is at home, and also the people at the temple where I work at the temple, they know that they aren't able to just barge in and get David's attention right away. The people around me have learned that they need to politely walk in, they need to be patient in some situations while I'm finishing up one thing, and then I'm able to help them with whatever it is that they've come to ask me about. 
But if every time somebody barged into your office, you immediately gave them your attention, what you're going to end up with is 10, 15, 20 people that just keep barging into your office all the time, thinking that as soon as they barge in, they should get your attention right away. So it's going to be very challenging for you to experience this peace and joy when you've got people that are constantly pulling at your attention. So if you practice interacting with one person at a time and practicing singleness of mind, then more and more people around you will start understanding that that's the way you function. And your mind will function more and more with singleness of mind. So that when you're in a business meeting, for example, you can just be in the business meeting and address whatever that topic is and not be thinking about something that you need to address an hour from now or two hours from now. Or say you're a stay-at-home mom or you're a stay-at-home dad and you're changing a diaper. It's important that you just focus on changing the diaper. Whereas if you're changing the diaper and you're thinking that in 20 minutes you need to start making lunch and you're starting to think about making lunch while you're changing the diaper, you're going to knock over the powder. You're going to drop the dirty diaper on the floor. It's going to actually take you more time to clean this up because you're now trying to split your mind in multiple places, which is impossible. You can't focus on changing the diaper and think about what you're going to make for lunch today as well. If you just focus on changing the diaper and you just do that very, very well, and then when you're done, you're off to making lunch. But if you were trying to split your mind like this and your mind was rapidly cycling back and forth, you're going to make a mess out of changing the diaper. And it's actually going to take you more time because now not only do you have to change the diaper, but you need to clean up the mess of the powder that you spilled on the floor. You need to clean up the mess where you drop the dirty diaper on the floor and you've actually created more problems for yourself. But we don't oftentimes see this when we're being influenced to multitask. We think that we're actually accomplishing more than one thing at a time but in reality we're not doing that one thing really really well and we're making a mess out of it so then we got to go and clean it up later and i use this example of a dirty diaper because i think some of us can relate to that but also if you were on email trying to write an email and you were talking to a business partner on the phone at the same time and you're trying to do both of these things at the same time you're going to find that you're not actually interacting with the business partner very well and you're not writing out the very best email that you could write out and now when you're done with that you've already sent the email you've already had the conversation with the business partner you now are going to need to go and clean that up whereas if you just did one thing at a time did it really really well you wouldn't have to actually go clean anything up so by trying to multitask and rapidly switch from thing to thing to thing to thing you're actually creating more difficulties for yourself you're putting unwise decisions into the world it's going to strain your relationships it's going to strain your work products and now you're going to create more difficulties because you're not practicing these natural laws of existence where we know that the mind can only do one thing so if you understand the wisdom that your mind can only do one thing at a time it would be very unwise to try to get it to do anything else other than that. Well, right now, if your mind is used to rapidly cycling and it, you find it a, a challenge and a struggle to do just one thing and be concentrated, then that's where the gradual training comes in, that you need to gradually train the mind in that direction to only do one thing at a time. And the reason why all of this is going to be really helpful for you is that when the mind is calm, 
it has this composure, especially in difficult situations, then you can have mindfulness or awareness of mind. And you can have concentration, that focus, that clarity of mind, practicing that singleness of mind. And when you have that, you can then make wise decisions that produce wholesome outcomes in your life. But when your mind is uncalm and it's shaken up, essentially, if you're trying to do multiple things at one time, your mind is going to be rapidly cycling around and around and around. It's not going to be calm. So therefore, you're not going to have awareness of mind to bring forth this concentration and this clarity, this focus. And therefore, you're not going to be able to access wisdom and make wise decisions about that email or about that project that you're working on at work or this customer call or this conversation with your boss or a business partner or somebody like that. So by allowing the mind to be uncalm, you're basically sabotaging yourself that you're not going to be able to access your wisdom and make wise decisions in your work life. So by maintaining this calmness, you can get to wisdom and now you can bring forth all your wisdom and make wise decisions that are going to lead to wholesome results for you. It's this eightfold path that is going to gradually train the mind closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. That if you're practicing the eightfold path deeply, there's multiple aspects of this that are going to help you in your private life, but in your professional life as well. Right view, for example, if you've learned this as part of the Four Noble Truths, where the Buddha is explaining the problem is discontentedness, the cause of the problem is craving, desire, attachment. The elimination of the problem is to eliminate craving, desire, attachment. And the path forward is the Eightfold Path. Well, part of right view, what the Buddha is teaching is to accept responsibility for your own feelings. That when you're experiencing anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, or any of these other discontent feelings, boredom, loneliness, resentment, stress, anxiety, and others, it's actually being caused by your own mind. And he's teaching you to accept responsibility for that. Well, these other teachings as well, like right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, even the mental discipline section of right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration are helping you to train your mind and optimize your mind, build the mind in a way that is performing optimally. And you'll benefit from this in all parts of your life. But you can actually extrapolate some of the lessons of this Eightfold Path into your work environment in even more detailed ways than what you've learned as part of the Eightfold Path. Let me give you some examples of that. So if you take this right view that the Buddha describes and he talks about accepting responsibility for your own feelings and your emotions that are in your mind and that you're causing any of those discontent feelings yourself, then the way that you can also apply right view in your work environment is to accept and acknowledge responsibility for the projects and assignments that you've accepted at work. Whereas if you were to accept a project at work and then you didn't really give it the attention it needs and you either just kind of let it fall by the wayside or you turned the project in but it didn't really have your full wisdom, then by you not accepting responsibility for this project, you become untrustworthy. You become undependable. People can't depend on you. So therefore, when you accept a project, it's important for you to be sure that you fully accept it and you acknowledge responsibility for it, even if it's in your own mind. And now you follow through with that work and you be sure that you bring it all the way to completion with your full wisdom. 
that when you turn over a project to either a coworker or to your boss or to a customer, that you feel like you've done absolutely the best job, that you've taken this diamond in the rough, so to speak, and you've spent your time really polishing this diamond really well, and now you're turning over a diamond to your boss or to a coworker or to a customer, that you can feel that you've put forth all your best efforts into this project. Because if you don't feel that way about what you're turning over, then you haven't put in your full wisdom and you haven't performed to your full ability. So by you acknowledging in your own mind and accepting in your own mind the responsibility for any projects or assignments or any products that you produce, then you will feel fulfilled that you know that you've done the very best job and there is nothing else that you could have done on that project that would have made that better than what it was. It doesn't mean that you're the best and that you allow the ego and conceit to come into it, but at least you've put forth all your best efforts into this project because you know that every project that you hand in, every product that you sell to a customer, every customer that you interact with, every interaction that you have with a coworker is essentially building your reputation. It's building your brand. And you're either helping people to see that you're trustworthy and you're dependable or you're not. And if you put forth the effort and motivation into each one of your work assignments, then people come to understand, hey, you give a project to this person, they're gonna put their all behind it. And that doesn't mean that you need to work exorbitant amount of hours to be able to do that, but you bring forth this creativity or this wisdom in your projects that you know that you've fully contributed all that you had to contribute to that project. And there's nothing else that you feel that would have been left for you to contribute because you've put forth everything you could put forth into that project and you've done it to the best of your ability. And then understand that as part of your work environment, you're gonna also need to practice right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood from the Eightfold Path. It's essential that you practice these teachings at all times and all of your relationships at work. Understand that there's absolutely no room in your life for a negative relationship, for example. Because if you get along with the vast majority of the people at your work, but there's like two or three people that you dislike or that you despise, or there's roughness between you and them, then you're not yet experiencing enlightenment because you haven't figured out how to have healthy relationships with everybody. So even if they're you know, disgruntled and jealous of you or resentful of you, at least in your mind, if you don't have those same feelings, maybe you guys aren't the best of friends, which is okay, but at least you're capable of having a fulfilling relationship and a healthy relationship with this person. If they're choosing not to do that, then that's up to them. But you're going to need to get to a point where you don't have any negativity or hostility towards anybody in your work environment. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have those same qualities of mind towards you, but in order to get to enlightenment, you need to get to the point where you can peacefully and joyfully work with anybody and everybody, and you don't feel any contention or disgruntledness about being paired up with a certain person, and that you can be just as peaceful and joyful working with person A as you would with person B. 
And if you can get to that point where you don't have any kind of negativity or hostility towards anybody in your work environment, then your mind is getting closer and closer to enlightenment and your livelihood is more and more purified. And the way that you do that is through right intention, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, but also through practicing right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. If you understand these aspects of the Eightfold Path, which make up the mental discipline, then you understand that you can practice this awareness of mind so that when you're in relationships or you're in business conversations or a meeting or what have you, that you're being attentive to the mind. You're watching over the mind with mindfulness or awareness of mind, that you're practicing singleness of mind as part of right concentration, and that wherever you see any unwholesome qualities arise, you're applying right effort to cut that off and let it go and where you see wholesome qualities at work, that you're applying right effort to arise the wholesome. Because with your mind having craving, anger, and ignorance, there's going to be challenges for you in the work environment. And it doesn't mean that other people are the problem. If you're finding that you're experiencing struggles and difficulties at work, it's not the other people. It's your own mind that's meeting with that contention. Maybe the other people are being difficult themselves, or maybe they're being harsh or aggressive, or maybe they're not being very easy to work with. But an enlightened being can find a way to easily work with everybody and anybody. It doesn't mean that that person is going to be seeing it as easy to work with, but you should be able to get to a point where you can easily work with people and using your skills and your wisdom on this path to be able to apply it to any work project and address whatever it is that you need to address at work. And this requires one to understand the full eightfold path and apply it in all parts of their life, including at work. So this is actually everything that I had to share related to this topic of practicing the path in the workplace. I'll open up to any questions that you guys have on anything that I've shared. And then if there are certain specific situations that you're having in your work environment or as a stay-at-home mom or dad or as a retired person or working in a charitable organization or whatever it is that you're doing, you can also share that kind of question as well. And I can help you understand how to address that. Because oftentimes in the work environment, we think that other people are the problem. And if you have those kind of difficulties where you're not seeing how to work through any particular challenges, you can share the situation and then I can help you to understand how to apply these teachings in that situation. I don't think that our live stream is working, but if it is, you can put questions into YouTube, into Facebook. You can definitely put questions into Zoom or raise your hand in Zoom and I'll help answer any questions that you might have. Yes, sir. On Zoom, Max asks, what if there is a difference in work quality that if expected from a boss versus having a polished diamond? Sometimes in my line of work, perfection is not advised and spending too much time on a project is costly. 
Yeah, so in each environment, depending on your work, and Max, I know your work as a welder, what I'm suggesting is not that you need to deliver the perfect weld every single time. What I'm sharing is that you put forth your effort to do a really good thorough job every time. And if you feel like, okay, I've done a really thorough job here, then you know that, okay, that's a really good thorough job for the amount of time that I spent and what's needed for this project, I know that this will meet those requirements. Now, if your boss is craving for you to do more or they just have a need for you to do better, then your role in that situation is to listen, to understand, to let them know what it is that you can provide and sometimes letting them know what you can't provide. And then if your boss is willing to accept what it is that you can provide, then you provide that. But if what your boss is asking is outside of the realm of what you can actually provide, then helping them to know that and understand that is very helpful. And then it becomes a navigation. It becomes a negotiation for them to understand what it is you can and can't provide. And if what they are needing is more than what you can provide, then letting them know that is helpful, that they can maybe find this by somebody else. And if that's happening repeatedly, then you know that you need more training or perhaps that work environment isn't the best work environment for you because maybe the boss's expectations of you are higher than what you can meet. And maybe that's the time where you need to find another job and another place to work. Yes, thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, also on Zoom, Tricia asks, Hello, sir. It's very hard for me to get away from gossip at work, although I don't practice as in join in. I'll listen, but not offer any words. People come and talk to me. I think it's because I'm a social worker. It's very hard because I'm not sure how to get others to talk with me if they need something, but not get them to gossip to me. How would I handle that and still try to maintain the offer of I'm here to provide assistance if help is needed? Yeah, so if people are just gossiping about others in the workplace, because they're choosing to gossip doesn't mean that you're gossiping, right? So if someone else is choosing to gossip and essentially what they're doing is maybe venting their frustrations or their opinions and they're coming to you asking for help, you can participate in that and help them by you listening to the gossip. You're not actually gossiping. So you can listen and you can say, I understand and just listen and I understand you're not gossiping back. So this is all about your decisions and what you're choosing to do. So you might then ask them, would you like some advice or are you interested in guidance of how to resolve this? And then you can provide them suggestions and advice. If they're just coming to gossip for the sake of gossiping, that's where I would look to just kind of excuse myself from the conversation or just let them know that, you know, I'm not interested in gossiping. I don't think that's very wise. But if they're truly looking for help and they're choosing to gossip as part of their kind of downloading of information to help you understand the situation, then that's their choice. And it doesn't impact you by just sitting there actually hearing what they're choosing to say. And it can actually help you to understand their feelings and their thoughts. And then it can help you to better give them guidance or suggestions. But what I would do is I would ask them if they would like your guidance, if they would like your suggestions, and if they say yes, then provide that to them. If they say no, and then you see this continuous pattern of them just coming to you to gossip for the sake of gossiping, that's where I would 
excuse myself from the conversation regularly. I would let them know perhaps, you know, I'm not interested in gossiping. I understand this is very impactful for you, but it's not something that I uh, would like to kind of participate in. Or you can even just say, I understand this is really challenging for you. I'm sure you'll find a way to resolve it. And you can just exit the conversation. You don't need to participate in the gossip. Yes, thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. And uh, Amina asks, what is the best approach when someone has shown over the course of a year that they are satisfied with not meeting expectations of their defined role? And this is someone whose lack of effort has an impact on the group's goals. You're going to probably have to help me understand this a little bit more. So is this somebody who has certain responsibilities and they're not fulfilling those responsibilities? I was going to invite Amina to uh, unmute and give a little bit more clarity to the question if she's interested in doing that. Yes. Um, the answer to the question is yes, David. Okay, so if somebody has a responsibility, like say they're a principal of a school or they're like a committee member on a committee and they're not fulfilling their responsibilities, that's affecting them first and foremost because it's their reputation, it's their responsibilities, it's their job and they're not fulfilling it. But now by them not fulfilling it, it's affecting other people in that environment or on that committee or at that school. And that's where there can be ways to address that individual and help that individual to see that. But oftentimes people aren't seeing that they're necessarily falling short. So this is where you've got to decide whether this is your role to address this. Are you in a position in a, in a role that it's your place to go talk to this principal, which means you're probably like the superintendent of the school. Whereas if you're just a parent, it may or may not be your role to go talk to that particular principal. It may be that you need to go talk to their boss, or maybe you have tried to talk to that person a few times. So there's ways to help this individual, but it's important to be sure that you're still practicing the Eightfold Path when you're doing that. And also understand that it's not necessarily your role to help them. You might not be able to help them. They might not heed your advice. It's their responsibility to do the work and be sure that it's not your own cravings that's wanting this person to perform to a certain level. Be sure it's not your own expectations and they're not meeting your expectations because each individual who's in a certain role they're going to have to answer to somebody, whether it's a boss, whether it's a, a committee, whether it's parents at a school, what, whoever the stakeholders are, they're going to have to answer for their performance. And if you're just in a role that feels like somebody's not meeting your expectations, then it might be more your expectations versus what the other stakeholders are experiencing. So for example, my son's school, I see things that they could be doing better all the time. But considering what they are doing, comparative to other schools here in Thailand, I know they're performing really, really well based on what I see of other schools in Thailand. And where there's an invitation, where the principal invites parents to come talk to her to provide her guidance or provide her thoughts, then I'll go in 
scheduling an appointment and go in and talk to them. And then there's occasions throughout the year where I might see things that are a challenge and I'll just kind of send them an email and give them my thoughts on what's happening. And I'm doing that using right speech. So in each situation, it's going to be very different, Amina. That's why like you guys are asking questions that are a bit general and kind of broad. So I can't really give any real specific guidance other than to look at your own expectations and whether that's involved. If you are going to get involved and try to help an individual, be sure that you're practicing you know, right intention, right speech, right action, things like that. But where you guys are able to share more detail about your specific situations, I can give you guys more specific guidance. Um, I was just going to give a few more details if that's going to be um, helpful, David. It could be. So if you'd like to share some more details, that could be more helpful for me to be more targeted with what I would suggest. Okay. This is um, a, like a, a group project that um, I've um, been working on with others and there's really no hierarchy like so that it, there's not necessarily maybe one person responsible for the other we're kind of all working together um, but there's just been a consistent um, someone who's willing to do the kind of minimum to help move things forward where the rest of us are a bit more motivated and passioned um, or passionate I should say and so just curious in that situation, I think that you've made, you've raised a really excellent point about the expectation. And I do see where the, the mind could have an expectation of this person that should be like the rest, which is not wholesome. And so that's something to address um, and work on, but also wondering just for the overall objective that we're trying to reach other than gently giving, um, reminders and help and, and trying to sort of pick up where this person has maybe fallen down, not been able to do things. Is there another way that's really following the path to not just think about a problem as this one that maybe can be related to with others here on the call or who are listening, but also um, with one's own mind. So to kind of find that middle way, because in the end, we can't control other people, but we can control our response. Um, and so I can see how the response of feeling disappointed is about an expectation that needs to be let go that I, I, I see clearly from what you share, but um, let me know if that helps. Yeah, I have some questions for you. What type of project is this and what type of environment? Is it like a paid thing or is it a volunteer thing? You know, and what type of project is it? It's a volunteer thing to help with making um, city streets more child friendly. Okay. So in that situation, people are volunteering their time and their effort, their energy, and not everybody's going to be as motivated to provide their services as maybe you and some of the other people in the group. So whatever this person is contributing, that's what they're contributing. You aren't able to necessarily impress upon this person to do anything different. This is the mind that is craving for everybody in the group, perhaps, to do things exactly the same way. That oftentimes we think that everybody should be contributing equally. That would be a perfect world, but that equally is all an expectation of where everybody should be. So in a particular group, say there's 10 people working, there's gonna be you know two or three people that are really moving 
those things forward. And then there's going to be a couple of people who are kind of like just contributing a little bit, you know, here and there or kind of like kind of medium level of support. And then there's going to be maybe a couple of people who aren't really that involved and just, you know, kind of aloof. They're part of the group, but they're not really contributing much at all. So in this kind of situation, if you're disappointed or you're frustrated or irritated or or wanting this person to contribute something, that's what's causing your mind to be discontent in that situation. And instead, what you should look at it as is like, okay, out of this group of 10 people, if three, four or six of us are really motivated and encouraged and doing things that are moving this project forward, then let's just keep doing that. If this other person would like to come along and start contributing at some point, then wonderful, we'll make space for that. But if they're not contributing or they're not having the time or they're just contributing maybe 20% or 40%, then whatever they contribute, then okay, we'll benefit from that. But there's no reason for us to try to pressure them or influence them or try to constantly motivate them to do more because they're showing us that they're not capable of doing that. Either they don't have the time, they don't have the energy, maybe they don't have the skills, maybe they don't have the motivation. For whatever reason, they're choosing to contribute whatever it is that they're contributing, and you just need to be content with that and just know that that's what their contribution is gonna be. And then for those of you guys that are contributing more and moving the project forward, okay, just work together and continue to move the project forward, irregardless of what this other person chooses to do or not do. That's so very helpful. Thank you, thank you, I mm-hmm. appreciate it. You're welcome. Yes, sir, I had a question more about singleness of mind and practicing singleness of mind in the workplace. This is something that I had challenges with um, early on in studying with you. Um, but then recently I was at work and someone had called in. So that left me being med tech. So I was in charge of getting everyone's medications separated out and delivered to them, watching them take the medicine, charting everything. Um, but I was also now doing care because of this person calling in. And then we had trainees. So then I was also training the person that was there for the person who had called in. And I'm just, I want to check, or I'm interested to check and see if I was doing this correctly, where when it was time to do anything with medications, I would kind of stop, tell the trainee, okay, sit down, I need to do these medications, walk over to the med cart, do everything I needed to do, go drop off the medications, watch everyone take their medications. And then I would come back to the trainee and like, say, okay, I'm gonna log these meds and then we're gonna continue doing care. I go log the meds that I've given and then get the trainee up and say, all right, we're gonna to go to this room and do this. And then we would go and do care. And I had to kind of rotate between doing these different roles for six out of the eight hours of my shift. Was that still practicing singleness of mind? I, I was I was making the attempt. That was the goal, was to do each of these different roles with singleness of mind and almost like take a breath in between and separate what I was doing. Yes, if you're doing one single thing at a time, then that's singleness of mind. So if you're focused on preparing all the medications and, and getting them all lined up, okay, that's what I'm focused on. 
Now I'm focused on distributing them, going into each room, delivering medications into each room. Uh, okay, now I'm done with that. Now I'm going to log all of this. Log it, log it. You know, I'm not focused on that. Now I'm focused on helping this trainee, right? So you're doing one thing at a time for this extended period of time rather than you know, preparing the medications, talking to the trainee, preparing the medications, talking to the med trainee. Now I'm logging it. Now I'm going into the room and handing it out to this person. You know, there's going to be all this rapid stuff and there's going to absolutely be a mistake in that situation. And as you know, in that situation, it can be detrimental if you make a mistake in that situation. It can be life threatening, essentially. So this is where when you understand singleness of mind, you can see in an example like you're sharing that it can be really beneficial. It can be really impactful. And if you're not practicing singleness of mind, you could potentially cause the death of somebody and end up in jail for the rest of your life just because somebody's not practicing singleness of mind, right? And this is how impactful the Buddhist teachings are, is that when you understand them and what he's really truly teaching, you can see like, this is surely not a religion. What this is, is this is training the mind and honing the mind to perform well in life so that you produce the best results in your life. And this is a perfect example of why singleness of mind is just so utterly important in the work environment. So these same teachings that you understand in the Eightfold Path that I've been teaching all along, then you apply these in your work environment and more and more and more, you just see continuous benefits in your personal and professional life. Okay, yes, thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. I think there wasn't any mistakes with medications. Um, the only thing that I think maybe was a little bit lacking was with the trainee. There were some things that I didn't physically have time to get to with her, mm -hmm. but she has another three days of training and going at it with that mindset of if I miss a couple of things with this training, I'll let the next person training her know this, and this was the situation that was going on when I was training her. So make sure that you focus on this and this and this because I didn't have time to get to those things with her. And that was just more, I think, right intention of I want to do well at every aspect of what I was doing, but I knew that there wasn't going to be time to do all of them and do all of them well. Something was going to have to be kind of put to the side and left for someone else to do. Yeah, two things come to mind here is that understanding the Buddhist teachings around gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress. When you're training somebody for a new skill, if you already understand that that's how the mind works, that it's not possible for you to fully communicate to this trainee everything that they need in their job in this one shift then you understand like, yeah, it's going to take gradual training for this person to understand what it is that they need to do for their role here at work. Then it kind of takes some of the pressure off of you where you're not trying to cram everything in. So that is really helpful to understand gradual training, gradual practice, gradual progress. Then it's also helpful for you to understand that the responsibility for this person to get trained is really their responsibility. Each individual person is responsible for their own cultivation of wisdom. So while you're a guide, you're an asset, you're a resource to help this person, that person has to take ownership over 
their own interests to get trained. They need to be responsible for that. So you're there to guide them and help them. And this is what I used to do when I was running my own business is I would set the brand new employee down on their first day and I'll say, you know, I'm here to train you on everything that there is for you to learn. But I would like you to know that you're responsible for your own learning. That while I'm here to help you, I'm here to guide you, I will be willing to show you anything and everything. You're gonna need to ask me questions about what it is that you need to learn and what things have I said that you need more clarification on. Because for the employees that currently work here and for us, we already are familiar with how to do this work. But for you, we would like to help you. We would like to support you. We'd like to embrace you to learn these skills, but you need to be responsible for that learning. And I would like you to take responsibility for that. And they're like, yep, okay. So now as I'm training them, it's their responsibility to speak up and say, can you explain that again? I didn't quite get that. Or can you pause right there? Let me take notes right? So it's their responsibility. So it's important when you're training somebody that you always make sure that they're holding the football, so to speak, to know that they're responsible for whatever happens in their life. I mean, that you're there for a guide. So these two things combined can really help you to take the pressure off of you having to communicate everything and puts them in the hot seat, so to speak, of needing to seek their own wisdom and their own understanding. That's wonderful. That's very wise. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. uh, it does not appear there are any other questions at this time, sir. Okay. Well, as I mentioned, that was everything that I had to share with you guys because it's taking this eightfold path and applying it to your work environment. And if you're understanding the Eightfold Path, you can see how to do that. And then understand, as the other classes I taught about harmony and relationship, that practicing these teachings with those people who are closest to you is going to be more challenging. So you're going to find that it's more challenging to practice something like right speech with people that you're attached to. So if you've been in a work environment where you have attachment to some of your coworkers, you might find it a real challenge to practice right speech. Or if you're in a work environment like Tricia was talking about where there's lots of gossip going on, it doesn't mean you have to close your ears and that you never need to hear any gossip. It's all about what you're choosing to do. So if other people are choosing to gossip, that's their choice. You're not going to be able to control them and stop them to gossip, but you can choose to not gossip. Or if people are just choosing to gossip just for the sake of gossip, you can excuse yourself more and more, and then less and less people will be interested in gossiping around you. So your goal is not to go out and change the people in your work environment, or like Amina's example of the volunteer team, your goal isn't to change that person, but instead it's how to get to your goals, your objectives, your interests, moving forward with a peaceful and joyful mind, realizing that, yes, relationships around you are going to be impactful, they're going to be helpful, and in some cases, there's going to be people who are contributing to what it is that you're doing, but you need to ultimately get to the point where you're making wise decisions in your work environment, and that everybody's not going to do things the way that you want them to do. But the problem isn't that. The problem is that you're wanting them to do certain things in a certain way. So just let go of having any kind of expectations of others. Let them know the things that you need and the things that are needed for a particular project where you see that they're doing things that are wonderful and that are helpful 
compliment them for that and let them know that you appreciate their service and you appreciate their contribution to the project. Make sure you're polite, kind, friendly, and respectful with them so they'll be more interested and be willing to help you in the future and things that you guys are working on together. Because people in the work environment, they're gonna function however they function based on the wisdom that they have. And they're gonna have craving, anger, and ignorance. And they're gonna have certain cravings and wanting you to do things a certain way. But the more and more that you function through the Eightfold Path, people will get used to you not being willing to gossip, you not gossiping with other people, you not being harsh and aggressive, that you are practicing the five factors of well-spoken speech, even though they don't know what those things are, what right speech is, they see you practicing in such a way that you're always talking in wholesome ways. Or they see you practicing singleness of mind, even though they don't necessarily know what that is, they know that when they come to your office, they're not going to be able to just interrupt you and get your time and attention right away, that they're going to need to be patient. And you're helping your coworkers to cultivate this by as you're talking on the phone and they're trying to butt in, you don't give them your attention. Instead, you practice where you're giving that person on the phone your full attention and you're not allowing that person to take away your attention. When I was running my own business and we had these massage centers in Washington, D.C., we had multiple lines, of course, coming into our business. And the way that I taught our administrative people is that if they're on the phone with somebody and somebody else rings on the other line, we don't put line one on hold and switch to line two and tell that person to hold and then switch back to line one. Instead, we were talking to line one and when line two called in, we just let it roll to voicemail. And we had caller ID that we could call them back. So we just handled everything single threaded that when we were talking on the phone to one customer, we just gave them our full time and our full attention. And then when we were done, we tried to call back the person who called in on line two. Sometimes they left a voicemail, sometimes they didn't. And sometimes we called them back and they weren't there. And that was okay. But slowly but surely, we built up this reputation in the community that if you call in and you get a representative of this company, they're going to handle your situation. And there are even times where we would be talking on the phone and the customer would hear the phone ringing the other line and they would say, you guys can get that if you'd like to. And we say, nope, that's okay. I would like to just help you. And there would be times where we were checking somebody out at the counter and the phone would ring. And I taught my staff not to answer the phone, to just handle the person that they were talking with and just address that. And then when they're done handling the person, then they would take the phone call. And that might mean that they need to return the voicemail or they needed to look at the caller ID and call that person back. And sometimes we missed that call and I let them know that that was okay. The goal here wasn't to service every single line that was coming in to the company and putting people on hold and making them wait. Instead, we were just handling one person at a time, having really enriching conversations and building relationships with the community. And because of this and other decisions that we made in our businesses, they were really, really successful. In a very short period of time, we built this reputation in the community of being very high quality company with very high quality customer service. We had people just beating down our doors. There'd be times where our schedule would be booked out 
two months in advance. People couldn't get appointments with us. They were so interested to come in and get service with us because they knew that our company and all the employees in the company were handling their service really, really well, just one person at a time. So this is going to help you in all facets of your life, practicing the Eightfold Path and practicing singleness of mind. Even though in your work environment, you might have phones ringing, you might have people coming and trying to pull your attention. Even in a world where everybody else is practicing something different, that doesn't mean you need to practice that. So even in a world where it's very common to be talking on a phone, be put on hold, switch to another person, put that person on hold, switch back to the other person, all of this stuff, I didn't allow our team to do that in our company. And not only did the customers appreciate that more, but the employees really appreciated it too because they could just do one thing at a time, do it really, really well, feel good about what they actually did with that customer, and then move on to the next thing. So I encourage you to do this in all parts of your work environment, even though other people might not be functioning that way and it might be the norm to do things in a different way. You need to understand that you're rising above that dirty, murky water. You're this lotus flower that needs to build this strong wisdom, this strong stalk and bloom over this murky water. So you're going to be doing things very differently than other people in the world. If you continue to do things like everyone else does in the world, then you'll be killing, you'll be stealing, you'll be having sexual misconduct, you'll be lying, you'll be taking substances that cause heedlessness, you'll be splitting your time and attention from one thing to the other, your mind will be rapidly cycling, you'll find it difficult to concentrate, you're going to have stress, you're going to have anxiety, you're going to have sorrow, you're going to have despair, you're going to have all those miserable feelings that a lot of people in the world experience because they're not practicing in a way that moves the mind to enlightenment. So even though you'll be influenced and people around you will be trying to impress upon you to do things the way that they do them, when you see the wisdom and the truth in the Buddhist teachings and you do things the way that the Buddha shares, you'll see that it absolutely works to help you to practice in a way where your mind can be peaceful and joyful and you'll be utterly successful in your work and in your workplace because even though people don't necessarily understand the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and the five precepts around you in your work environment, when you are practicing these things, they're going to see that you're very loving, that you're very kind, that you're very compassionate, that you don't get jealous, that you have sympathetic joy for others, that you have equanimity in this calmness, that you speak in very polite, kind, friendly, and respectful ways. So even though they don't know the natural law of gamma and they don't necessarily know the teachings in the way that you know, they will feel your presence. They will feel the love and the kindness and the compassion. They'll feel the generosity. They will know that these things are happening amongst the way that you're making decisions in your life. So as you are learning and practicing these teachings, other people don't necessarily need to know the same things that you know, but they will understand and they will experience the results of your decisions and making these very wise decisions. And you can be very successful in terms of how you perform your work and how other people respect the way that you function at work. And if you find yourself in a hostile, aggressive environment that you would rather not be part of this team or you would rather not be part of this volunteer effort or you would rather not be part of this company, 
then you can just choose to move on. And if you're working for a certain boss that is very demanding and lots of cravings, lots of expectations, maybe hostile and aggressive sometimes, then maybe your choice is to move on. And this is where impermanence can benefit you. If you're not clinging to this specific job and you realize that you can move on and you can make a wiser decision about your next opportunity based on what it is that you learned about this opportunity that maybe your boss was demanding maybe the team was kind of hostile and aggressive so now when you choose to work at the next venture or the next opportunity you you learn the wisdom from that previous environment and now you choose to make a wiser choice about your next work environment and this is how you purify your livelihood is by making wiser and wiser decisions about what you choose to involve yourself in, in terms of the livelihoods that you choose in the companies that you choose to work for and the coworkers that are around you. And where you see people pulling and demanding your time, you don't necessarily have to jump and give them your attention. You can ask them to just hold on because you're on a call. And this is how you gradually help people understand the way that you function in the world. And they gradually start to understand that and they'll start functioning like that more and more. So as you guys have questions on this type of content, you're welcome to post that in Facebook. You're welcome to ask more questions in these online classes. You can send private messages or you can schedule a personal guidance appointment and I will be pleased to help you understand more and more about how to practice these teachings in the workplace. So thank you all for joining and I'll see you guys in one of our future classes because In our future classes, we're going to be discussing additional topics in this same area of harmony and relationships. The next class is titled Eliminating Personal Existence View, Getting the Self Out of the Way. This is where we're going to deeply dive into the universal truth of non-self and that personal existence view, that very first fetter. So I'm going to help you to deeply understand the personal existence view and how to practice this universal truth of non-self to be able to get the self out of the way and eliminate personal existence view. So I'll see you guys perhaps in next Sunday's class or this Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation. You might decide to join for that. Or on Saturday, we're gonna be doing the Pali Canon in English study group where we're in volume 13, studying chapters 31 through 40. So we'll see you guys in a future class. Have a very lovely and wonderful rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.